1: Hi, welcome back to the What Do You Love Most About Basketball podcast series. I'm Ro Sampson Folk, and today I'm in conversation with James Boo, whose claim to fame is probably trying to find outlier superstar talents in lesser known players. Today we're discussing aesthetics and the availability of basketball content, particularly the high value version of it, because James was somebody who came to basketball late in his life and has been endlessly fascinated with how he can learn about the game online. And of course, aesthetic is the, I don't know, it's, it seems like it is is the—it is physical communication of art, or it is just art in itself. And so we discuss the different forms of it, what it means when it's tied to value and uh, competition and winning and all that kind of stuff. So I sincerely hope you enjoy the podcast. Um, yeah, enjoy. James Boo, what is your favorite thing about basketball?
0: So I've been a sports guy like all my life. So it took me a bit of time to kind of think about what separated basketball from my other, you know, sport loves, I guess, you know, tennis, soccer, Australian rules, football, like all that stuff. And um, I think where I've is probably, yeah, it's probably the aesthetic component of it. Like just like a poster dunk, someone ratioing someone at the rim just never Never gets sold, you know, like... Oh, well, I mean, also, like, the first the first player I really fell in love with was was Kemba Walker. I don't know, if he wasn't on uh, the team I watched when I got into basketball, maybe I wouldn't have um, become so interested in it because, you know, like, just the dribbling and stuff. But, yeah, and then, like, I think just in basketball, like, the fact that you have something like the jump shot, which every player pretty much does, but the jump shot itself is such an, like, aesthetic thing. So just something about basketball, like, really gave me the urge to like try and learn how to play basketball myself like when I got into basketball I didn't um, I didn't play basketball at all really and then as soon as you know I watched 10 Kemba Walker games I just wanted to you know go to the local park and try shooting you know some I like I, yeah like I, I must have sh- tried to shoot that um the Kemba Walker step back over I forgot what his name is McGee or something in um, MSG UConn? March Madness yeah UConn yeah. the cross left and then just Step back. Yeah, I've, I must have tried to shoot that like 3,000 times in just the year 2017. So, yeah, there's just just something about it. Like, don't really know how to explain. So, aside from that, also, I think, so that's kind of what sparked my initial um, interest in basketball. But then I think what really um, helped it develop was the fact that, so I, I'm a person who kind of needs, just needs to understand something fully, I guess. Yeah, I just need to understand as much of something as I can. Need to be able to, in my own head, just completely uh, break it down i think in basketball like there was a lot of really good you know tactical content that was really well presented like i find basketball analysis is more film heavy than analysis really any sport i've ever watched and i think part of that is because i mean the the tv angles you know they show all 10 players on the court usually unless it's transition so i find that makes it a lot easier because i've tried like like after I started, you know, getting to basketball and doing a bit of analysis myself, like I tried doing it for um, soccer and Australian rules football. It's just completely different, like the camera angles. So I think that's probably part of it. But yeah, I just found like, you know, you think, I think of like thinking basketball, you know, just, it was just so well presented, you know, Ben Taylor has a a beautiful voice as well, which helps. And, um, and yeah, and then, you know, people like you, Samson, and then, you know, Jack and Frank, Mark Schindler, you know, all those guys. I mean, I'm not saying these are the guys I came up reading because uh, I got into it before they all, you three all, and others started really taking off. But people like you, you know, who just, you know, put out really quality work, do a pretty good volume. And then, um, you know, really well explained. And you can just tell like how much hard work goes into each of those pieces. Like, yeah, that's that's all part of it too. Like, yeah, reading that kind of high quality analysis, um, it's just perfect for, for a guy like me who needs to um, try and
1: understand something fully. So it seems like Kimball Walker was able yeah. to pique your interest and you're thankful yeah. to be involved in that. And then certain writers, certain analysts, the way they presented basketball made it so that you could follow that interest to whatever yeah, I think, you want.
0: I think like thinking basketball is the first one that like I thought was just really amazing. But then I think um, talking about like the overall basketball sphere, like recently I I felt um, it's just, it just keeps getting better. But I think it's always been pretty strong, like the analysis as
1: a community. Mm -hmm. I want to take it back to the aesthetics and basically the the most interesting thing. Well, coming into this conversation, aesthetic kind of dominates basketball and it dominates every sport as part of. And you mentioned how a dunk is completely unique to basketball, as is the jump shot. Did you know that basketball used to be A, played in a cage, and the first recorded dunk was from a guy who climbed up the side of the cage and jumped oh towards the basket? Is that real? That's real. <laughs> Holy shit. <laughs> what the fuck? Yeah, I got, <laughs> oh my God. Sorry about
0: the profanity. Yeah, you can't look at that up, but um. What the heck? I yeah, okay. Uh not nothing. I had no idea
1: about how the basketball the game of basketball was like felt. Yeah. It's crazy. So for the listener, if you want to look into, you know, a one specific part of the aesthetic of basketball, which is dunking. Um, the off-court podcast actually did a tremendous episode on the dunk and why it was outlawed and how it came back into vogue and everything like that. So that that'll be linked as well, but the jump shot, Kemba Walker, all these different uh, manifestations of basketball and what it looks like. I, I'm very interested to ask you about emerging aesthetics in the NBA. So Manu Ginobili introduced an aesthetic, I think would be fair to say, whether it was him really popularizing the step back or the Euro step, or whatever. But James Harden, you know, and has paid tribute to Manu Ginobili, he took the aesthetic to the next level. And that is where we see it today. There's also the MJ, Kobe, Damar, post-fade pipeline, all that kind of stuff. Yep. Is there an aesthetic that you're waiting to see emerge? That is,
0: yeah, I don't think I've given it. I haven't given that idea, I guess, any thought um, before. I think, like, I mean, obviously, you know, you see more and more, you know, guys who are, you know, quote-unquote bigs starting to handle the ball a bit more, like, My guy Nas Reed is all you know, he like if you look at his like handling bag, like he's pulling out like behind the back dribbles and and then that's that's a pretty like deeply discussed idea, I guess, just the evolution of the game. But yeah, so there's obviously that. I don't know if this would count. I mean, this is I don't think I haven't watched a whole lot of historical basketball, but I feel like kind of like Doncic and I mean Harden as well, really, but like Doncic and Jordan Poole, like I feel like one of the main things I've heard about one of the like like key buzzwords in basketball recently has been like deceleration and change of direction and i mean i guess that's always been part of it really though but like I, f- I feel like yeah maybe that's like i find jordan Poole, especially the way he like you know dribbles changes directions i feel i feel it's like i still f- like i feel like that's the first time i've seen it my years watching the nba like obviously Bo- borrows elements from other people but like he's like going from he's like walking his dog or something to like you know suddenly getting super low so i think like yeah that's that's kind of my thoughts i don't do i don't think i really have a, a super clear idea about that question though
1: yeah, that makes sense. I, the next thing I would ask about aesthetic is how it's intrinsically tied to success, but also not, because the aim in sport is to compete rather than, you know the production of, let's say, aesthetic value. And that yeah. you know that intersects also with the fact that it's an entertainment product. And so it's very interesting to think of aesthetic in the way of basketball because, We've found players who mimic aesthetic to success, but also there are many players who have brought on their own aesthetic to success, and mm. it's tough to say which falls in which group more often. And I and I'm curious what you think. What you think of that is, if you could start out with like a perfect basketball body, would you mimic aesthetic or would you try and create your own? Oh jeez, I, I mean, I definitely say I definitely say mimic. Like I just. <laughs>
0: Such a great question. Like like when I first got into basketball, like one of the things I really wanted to do was mimic how, because I played a bit of soccer before then. And then like soccer was probably my favorite sport for the few years before I got into basketball. And then like I was never really good at it, but like my favorite part about it was, yeah, one of my favorite things was seeing, you know, like, especially like, you know, left winger, their ability to like kind of, you know, fake one direction and, and go the other. Like it was like such... I still find today like in comparison to like the basic crossover, like in the NBA, which is still so effective. Like I feel like soccer, like the, um, like you need to, you need to be a lot more, you can't like win simple like that. Like, so I feel like the, 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 the base level of bag, I guess for an offensive playing soccer is I feel like it's deeper than in basketball, or at least like the, the base moves are more complicated. And I remember like, Yeah, like i always wanted to like what's it called like i think it's like called the flip flap or something or elastico or something um one of the soccer moves where it's on the outside of their foot and they kind of the ball's in the outside of the foot and they kind of yeah just like fake one way and then quickly shift their foot so they push the push they push the ball out like let's say it's on the um the ball's on the outside of your right foot you push the ball out right then you like instantaneously you know swipe your foot underneath the ball and then bring it back um, left using the inside of your foot rather than the outside. Like um, like that kind of changed direction. I thought, yeah, like that's something I always wanted to really do in basketball. And then, but like, obviously that's been done, you know, like like after all these years of watching basketball, I realized, you know, like John Wall, that classic, almost like fake poster, like one dribble and then super hard cross, like that sort of stuff. Um, uh, you got the sham guard, which is kind of a really similar concept. Yeah, I'd be, I'd be curious to know if there's any um basketball players, you know, in the modern day who kind of, you know, brought their own aesthetic, because I feel like, yeah, I don't know, I'm not going to answer that, like, because uh, I'm not like, yeah, I'm not a great athlete, so I don't know why I'm just talking about my own experiences so much, but um I think in general, like, a lot of these new NBA players, they actually do end up bringing their um their own aesthetic to it, which is, yeah, really impressive, and that's, it's, it's just not something i thought about deeply before, but, like. It actually is now that i think about it like such an impressive thing um but like for me i think i'd just be like mimicking or at least you get you you like you mimic super range a wide range of skills you figure out what you're good at and then you start maybe like adding a few wrinkles to what you think you're good at
1: mm-hmm. well, i think the the interesting thing right and is that maybe these aren't things that they work on in discrete scenarios that perhaps because basketball is an invasion sport, that aesthetic comes about because of the way they're defended and that somebody you grew up up playing against could be just as responsible for creating a a foundational aesthetic for the NBA as the person who's actually doing it because of how, how they dictated you play against them, for example. Like Nikola Jokic not looking at the basket but throwing in layups is very obviously because... He had to be an incredibly creative finisher against larger men since yeah. he was a, a young boy yeah. and stuff like that so Such i think point. that's interesting
0: oh that's that's a great point like um like this is yeah pd webb in his Lamello in his yeah his Lamello deep dive i guess before that draft um that's something he brought up i think it was that piece it might have been that piece or it might have been you know his episode of bouncing around with you and evan yeah actually Memory's a bit muddled, Um, but yeah, like he brought up how he was always playing against people, you know, way up above his level. And he just had to find all these, like, I think that he, he he said something along the lines of like, he just got, you know, he's like, yeah, it's like this idea of you throw a guy who's kind of undeveloped, underdeveloped into, you know, a group of guys who are just much bigger and more athletic than him. and And then he's just like, you know, figure it out. And he mentioned how, LaMelo found some really interesting um, answers. So, yeah, you got him. You know, I feel like you can – like, the, yeah, I feel like – like, I remember this quote Jalen Noel had after a Minnesota game. It was like, you know, when he used to play in Seattle, like, you can't call fouls as the offensive player that easily, I guess. So, and I feel like thinking about it, like, you think about Noel, Kevin Paul Jr., Jamal Crawford, like, yeah, I feel like they – I don't know, maybe don't look for contact as much when they're playing because they know um, maybe that's inviting contact from the defenders and that's not going to get called. Like, they all have ways to create their own space without relying on, you know, call from the
1: umpire, uh, the referee, I don't know, something like that. Mm -hmm. I think, yeah, that that makes me think about, like, quite a few different things about... Obviously, it's, it's all born from, like, the famous quote, necessity is the mother of invention. But the fact that, you know... Different different people colliding at different points in their lives are creating all these different outcomes. And this kind of brings me to the next thing, is that you play your friend, let's say, and you don't think about it this way. You, you would say out loud, my friend knows how I play. But yes. realistically, they're actually familiar with your aesthetic and can more easily recognize when you're about to do something. And players who have unorthodox aesthetics, you brought up Jordan Poole and the ability to go from walking the dog to being like completely perpendicular to the court almost and bursting into yeah. space. Uh, what advantages do you think come with being irregular in the NBA with how you look?
0: Oh yeah. I mean, yeah, I feel like this is, this is a tough question because I'm just like, I'm kind of at a blank thinking of like what, like which players I would consider genuinely, um, genuinely like, you know, irregular, I guess like, in fact, Jordan Poole. eh. I kind of disagree with a lot of the um, analysis on him, I guess, because like people say he has an amazing first step. Like I think his first step is probably overall, like probably on the, it's probably above the 50th percentile, I guess, if that's the right way of saying it. And then, um, yeah, I guess that's what I'd say. But like, I think, regularity is probably a big part for now, I guess, um, especially of, you know, how he's so successful, um, you know, getting to the rim and stuff. But then, even then, like, teams have started figuring it out. Like, it's actually crazy how, like, adaptable these NBA players are. Just, like, even when there is a, um, a new ir- ir- irregularity, they kind of figure it out pretty quickly. So, um, I think any advantage you get is probably just doesn't last very long because it's the NBA. Like, you... He tweeted about this the probably middle of last year, I guess. But, um, you know, the the six, seven, six, eight ball handler making a skip pass, like that legitimately broke the NBA for a little bit. But then teams, you know, they've started to get really good at defending that. I th- like, th- you definitely get benefit, but I just think these, because these, these, these NBA teams, these players, they're so smart. They watch so much film. They just end up. They end up picking it up pretty quickly. Like you know, first matchup of the season. You know, if you in like maybe two or three matchups, like maybe a defender will have fi- a good defender will have figured out, or a good team will have skimmed out. You know, one of that um, methods of irregularity that leads to success. And that's kind of crazy because that's not really that much time. Like, um, you know, you think about you know me playing with my cousin at the, the playground, like how many times I would have had to, you know, or how many times they would have had to cross me over before I figured out, you know, what their crossover, I guess, looks like. Like, so, yeah, I think my summary is these NBA players who are, like, not only genetic freaks, but, like, also, or well, they're just freaks in general. Like, they've got freaks in every aspect.
1: This kind of makes me think about, like, playing defense on somebody, right? And how we we talked about how a defender if they're overwhelming, could force you into someplace new. But an offensive player, a lot of times, if they're facing a good defender, they're forcing the defender to kind of mirror their actions. Like the best one-on-one defender you could possibly think about is a mirror for what the offensive player is doing. And I think that speaks to the point you're making about how these guys are incredibly malleable, incredibly talented, and that just makes for, you know, these incredible athletes who can do incredible things. And they have the the feel for the sport to start implementing that at a rapid pace. And I think that is that is what aesthetic is. That's, that's what it's all about, is that there are people on a court, you wouldn't have to know their names, but you can recognize what's happening there. But it also, it does make me think about, aesthetic dominates the iconography around basketball. And something I've taken, like a fun little term I use is, Aesthetic merchant uh, for somebody who can only identify players as being good. If they see that player playing in a similar way to players that were understood as good before, that's why Uh, I've spoken about this many times, but why Pascal Siakam fundamentally Mm. was understood or misunderstood, I should say as a a player, because he didn't look like a lot of the wings he doesn't look like an isolation engine or you know, a, a player who could break down a defense as often as he does. And it also makes you think about OG and And the Raptors have been drafting the underrated archetypes for a while. So it only makes sense that these two guys are brought up. But OG being thought of as a three and D player, despite being in, being the number one post hub for the Raptors this year, being a really high isolation usage player and being a wing who is above average both in transporting himself to the rim with the ball and finishing there. like He, he, by the numbers, by the actuality of the game, is very much almost the opposite of 3 and D. But because Hmm. people don't like slow down post-hubs, because people don't like watching him drive because it's clunky, they just assume that it's bad. And I, I find that incredibly interesting. I, I wonder what you think about that.
0: Well, I, I mean, I've got to kind of expose myself here, but like, I think that, like, that kind of, yeah, the aesthetic merchant, merchant, like, I, I don't. There's, it's not that, not that I think there's anything wrong with it, because subliminally saying is like, yeah, we're all kind of shaped by like, what. You know, we experienced nothing, that's nothing like deep or anything, but like like going back to the um the basketball question, like would you try and mimic aesthetic? Would you try and add your own? Like if I got no inspiration, you know, I'm not gonna just magically come up with anything, at least me. But, but going back to yeah, um the basketball thing, like, yeah, shit, me with like Lopello Paul, like before he came in really, um my idea of an offensive engine was be the defender, draw a defender. Make the right read. Yeah. And then like only kind of yeah, like only kind of recently um I've realized like Lamello just like dribbling it up the court quickly, having his crazy vision and just you know passing it before the defense is set. Like that's an advantage every time as well actually. But it's just it's just completely different to what I was used to watching um previously. So I kind of undersold the impact of that. So I think yeah I think you've you're on a winner there. You've you've absolutely hit it bang on the spot. That's that's really, um, really good take.
1: Okay, so the, the next thing I wanna talk about because aesthetic dominates basketball and it, I think it would take a research paper to try and tease apart, especially with being like an entertainment, as we, especially being entertainment as we talked about earlier, to try and, you know, parse out how valuable it is to mimic what that has, you know, actualized for players today and what that means for your own iconography in the sport, your own fan base that you create and kind of cultivate and all that kind of stuff. But that's like a way longer conversation and way more in-depth conversation than we'll have here. The content, the accessibility of high level basketball, uh, content analysis, whatever. Uh, I'm curious, do you think that's, what is your version, what is your ideal version of the future of that landscape?
0: Oh man. Well, you know, given I did just listen to um your podcast with Lewis, which was amazing and gonna be far far better than this one's gonna be. So everyone should check that out. Um yeah, I think that Uh, That's in my head right now, like, the the stories, I guess. Like, my first piece I wrote in basketball was just me, like, basically just a bunch of shit ton of film and just, like, breaking it down, I guess. A decent amount of that now, um, a decent amount of people can do do that pretty well. Gee, the next step, though. Yeah, like, there's even, like, a pretty good number of, like, you know, YouTube content creators now, which is crazy and it's amazing for new fans you know just in the time I've been a basketball fan like an already accessible sport has become just exponentially more accessible I think but I think it is a really great landscape right now honestly like um something something else I really like about basketball is just like how like you know there's now this like intersection of like all these different I guess heuristics I guess like you know, you got you you got ball don't stop. He's really taken off at least in my circles, like the last year or so. I think that's been great because, uh, it's very entertaining and very funny to see how people react to him. Um, you got you know just like the the quote unquote sat sexuals you know, the people who um, yeah, just I guess think about it in a mathematical way, you know. So I know some people were like you know designing their own metrics and stuff, which is which is crazy, you know. Good good for them, like that's a whole lot
1: of um you know effort and you know good thinking um this, if i can cut you act- off actually yeah. this brings up like a fascinating question for me so you brought up the term stat sexuals people who basically are, are not spending as much time as you'd like watching um film or like the game probably and are i would say more comfortable making sweeping declarations about players than they should be and that hubris comes from um, looking at tracking data, advanced analytics, and all that kind of stuff. All of that stuff, all of the stuff that I, I still love. I just watch a lot of film too. Yeah. And a, a curious thing for me is like in baseball, if a third baseman wants to have a better war and defensive war is like wins, you know, wins added basically. And it's, hmm. it's similar to, basketball in that way but if he wants to have a better defensive war he can actually take a defensive position that is worse than his um that is worse for his team but better for his own individual statistics he can play closer to the third baseline and his team will probably his team will probably be worse off for it but his own defensive war will improve, meaning that he'll be worth more on the open market and all that kind of stuff. I'm curious if you think Jeez. that like I'm curious if you think tracking data or players might kind of learn or catch on to this like this ability to kind of game tracking data to become more valuable in the eye of whoever is evaluating. And obviously like war is something that is in the it's in the negotiation room for baseball free agents, for re-signees, and all that kind of stuff. And like they arbitrate based on that sometimes. So baseball is obviously at a different place than basketball and basketball Mm -hmm. has like um, a coach who can take you out and do that kind of stuff. But, you know, baseball is a little bit more limited in that regard, but I'm I'm curious what you think about that. Yeah. I I just think it depends on really like how,
0: um, how popular, you know, yeah, how popular that sort of, like, tracking data you mentioned, you know, gets, you know, does does that, is that already part of the, um, you know, the free agent negotiations and stuff? But, like, a lot of people have seen, you know, like, you know, like Luke Kennard's contract, if they have a defensive rating of whatever it is below that, when he's on the court, he gets, you know, an extension, like, I think Moe Harkless, he notoriously didn't shoot a three in his last, mm-hmm. however, so many games uh, in the, uh, I think it was 16, 17 season because he had that incentive. Like, you see incentives that are based on, I guess, stats um, in contracts decent amount these days. It's just they're kind of still, like, in, I would say they're kind of, in know, like, you know, still kind of the more basic stats being used in contract negotiations. But, yeah, it'll be, it'll be interesting to see, if, like, yeah, like like that's the thing like tracking data you know being fused with metrics I guess like I feel like that's very much its its infancy still so I think it will happen yeah uh, exactly. because we've seen we've seen players try to
1: game the current system already so yeah So you, you and I have talked about before like how skip passes can sometimes be fetishized how different aesthetics are attached to different archetypes of players and Are those players more appreciated just on Twitter or in certain groups? Does that actually affect what contracts they might sign? I'm curious what you think analytics has done to the aesthetics of basketball. Honestly, like, I don't think I've watched enough basketball. Like,
0: because, I like, my, like, the main basketball I've watched is, yeah, just the NBA from 2016 onwards. And I feel like that's, like, I've only really lived the, um, an you're, i guess and like um yeah like i've only yeah i really don't think i can ah uh, i mean like something like play having an open shot you know 15 and then like taking a couple of to get by through my line, like that's i think that's like like i'm sorry to people who like you know get because you know people who work in analytics like full time they get this shit all, all the time they get all this like you know, <laughs> you know analytics slander like oh you know a mid-range shot is not analytics and stuff it's like and I don't want to like add to that but I feel like yeah like plays who used to um yeah probably just catch and fire then like um like you know they get they get a 15 feet whatever it's in like transition probably like and they just you know Go, uh, take uh drills and get one three point like that like that's definitely analytics advanced I feel like yeah like probably um yeah like off off cuts as well too like in basketball as well like I feel like you probably see a lot more passing out of like cuts than uh you probably would beforehand and um so yeah I think that's kind of like that whole like shot
1: selection thing that's probably one of the the main ones, I guess. Um, if I if I could interject, I think yeah the the main thing for me is that analytics has like a very loose impact on superstars, but yeah. an overwhelming impact on role players, for example. Yeah. and that could you could see the what would Dorian Finney-Smith be if he played in two thousand six relative right. to what he's playing like today. And that's one of the easier points to make is because the the Dallas Mavericks were one of the teams who on their practice court had spacing boxes, like spots on the court that they mapped out were the most efficient, maximized spot for a guy to be standing mm. on the court to create spacing for the spread, pick and roll for Luka Doncic or something to that effect. Right. And mm. I think more than anything, role players are what's changed immensely. Stars will always be stars. But you look at a role player in 2011 and then a role player today, it is vastly different what you're getting and what's being asked of them.
0: Yeah. That's uh, yeah, that's a really good point. I don't really have much else to add. Again, I just don't think I've watched enough like historical basketball and like, yeah, like theoretically the effect of, I guess, um, like the role players being more, I guess, aware of their shot selection and what shots they're allowed to take like that I feel like that should have an effect on you know like their rhythm, their confidence, that sort of thing to make to make plays in big situations. But I feel like that whole thing like I don't know like again I haven't just I just haven't watched enough historical basketball and like watching like interviews of past players like they still talk about stuff like you know you need to get this guy in early shot so and you need to you know keep him engaged so he's going to be there you know at the end when you get double teamed that sort of thing. So yeah, I don't have much else to add on that one. Sorry.
1: No, that, that's that's good. That's um, we're basically just looking to tease some insights where we can and where there aren't. I mean, you just keep it moving. There isn't okay. always a, there isn't always a good answer to a question. Some questions are really hard. As long as it's as long as it's what you think about basketball, then then there'll be good stuff. Before we get out of here, is there any parting shots you want to give to aesthetics or um, the coverage of basketball or anything like that?
0: Not really, to be honest. Actually, like. I actually just really love, like, the way the game is growing, the way the landscape is developing. Like, I think, yeah, I think the overall direction is... Yeah, I think on court, uh, I think it... I think basketball, like, is both in a good spot and then, like, in a place to develop well, because, yeah, just again, like, I think... You see more and more voices, and I think, yeah, that can only be a good thing, you know, more perspectives. so... That's what I would
1: uh, probably say. So yeah, nothing else apart from that. That's as good a place to sign off as any. More voices. More Yeah, thoughts. a bit optimistic. That's that's
0: surprising to me, but
1: yeah. <laughs> well, optimism is good, even if it is surprising, James. Thanks so much for coming on, man.
0: Yeah, no worries. Sam. Thanks for um yeah, thanks for inviting me on. I still feel I I kept my uh, imposter syndrome pretty hidden uh, throughout that because 740, obviously, but she got some got some, got some, some, great people on, on this.
1: <laughs> well, if, if you didn't, I can, I'll hide it in post, if anything. <laughs> yeah, appreciate that. <laughs> uh, listener, thanks for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed it immensely. There are more of these to come. Thanks for tuning in whether you got into this in the morning or at night. Have a blessed day and goodbye.